Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G. With me, as always, Mikey Maximus the Ferticus. Hurting alpacas like there's no tomorrow. Charette. Hey, we got a new one. That's we right. got a new one. That's right. Got a new thing. A little, little <laughs> extension in there. Little extension. Uh, Mike, little extension. Mike, have you continued your run of extraordinary coffee? Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I, again, this morning, I don't know what I did, but it's uh, so far so good. The coffee's great. Nice. Just doing it black this morning. No cream, no sugar. That's yeah. the way I roll. No diggity. No doubt. Yeah. That's, no doubt. That's, <laughs> I think that's a line in that song. Am I right? There's, oh, there's, it is. There's, there's, okay. Okay. I wanted to make sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nope. Um, Mike, I I was thinking about our alpaca news. I enjoyed our alpaca news. It doesn't seem like Me too. most of the listeners didn't, but, you know, I mean, psh, <laughs> we're not in, we're not in the business of entertaining those folks. That's not what yeah. it is. Come on. But I yeah. thought, you know, since they probably weren't as entertained with the alpaca news that I would cater to what people know us for on the show, which is insider celebrity news, right? So true. Mm. Right? There we go. I mean, yeah. we're essentially TMZ meets TikTok on the show. <laughs> so, yeah. Which, by the way, Mike, uh, you know the the uh, segment we do. Uh, do you know? Do you know your social media influencers? Yeah. Uh, one of the social media influencers liked the post about that uh, when when I posted it. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Bailey liked it. I was like, thanks, Bailey. Bailey Spin. That's fantastic. So she's yeah. she's my favorite social media influencer now. And that's that's a fact. She's showing the dog G love and I appreciate it. So that was just yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, just side note there. Um but anyways, I thought we should give the people what they want. Insider okay. celebrity news. So I'm excited. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, uh, you're going to be even more excited when you find out where I got this news from. I got it. I got it from BuzzFeed. Sweet. That's right. That's right. I mean, the only news outlet qualified enough for this type of news. And BuzzFeed wanted to let us know 20 celeb couples that quit dating and 21 that started dating in the year 2021. Huh? Huh? Hmm? Yeah. Hmm. See what they did there? Only BuzzFeed. Only BuzzFeed could think up, hey, you know what? We did 20 people that break up, 21 that get together. That's 2021. Genius. So true. Genius. Now, if I actually came up with that, I'd probably tell everybody about it. I'd be like, <laughs> guys, I thought about this thing. It's pretty cool, right? And people would be like, stop telling us, moron. But anyways... Mike, I'm not gonna. The editors, the editors probably appreciated it. Guys, I have the best title. Oh yeah, oh definitely, they had to appreciate it. That's the only reason they kept it on there. <laughs> um, Mike, I'm not gonna go over all 41 couples. That'd be too much. Yes. I thought we had hit a couple of the big names. 
I thought we'd go okay. through some of the breakups, some of the get-togethers. Now, first on the breakups, I think everybody knows this one in 2021, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian. Hmm. That was a big one. That was a big breakup right there. Yes! Um, yeah. Did you know they'd been together for seven years? Jeez. Yeah, I actually did. Wow. <laughs> I somehow knew that. Time flies when you're an annoying celebrity couple. Like, I, I, yeah. when I saw that, I was like, seven years? Really? We've had to deal with this for seven? That's crazy. <laughs> but, like, I was thinking about it because it really, I, I'm just sort of neutral about like there's nothing really like i was thinking it this news hit me sort of like when someone tells me that there's like a new episode of walking dead mm. i have absolutely no response nope. like i don't know any of the characters i don't know the premise of the show i've never seen five minutes of it so i'm just like oh that happened like there's nothing like i don't yeah. I can't, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope, Kanye seems to be doing well. He has his new album. Have you listened to yeah. any of that new album? Um, Unfortunately, no. I'm as much of a Kanye fan as I am. I have not listened to the mm. new album, no. Did you watch Kim Kardashian on Saturday Night Live? Hmm. No, didn't oh, watch that either. Oh, come on, Mike. You're failing on your celebrity <laughs> updates. People are not going to think uh, we're the mix between TMZ and TikTok anymore. Nope. Gosh. Um, I know Kanye's selling his Wyoming ranch. Oh. Mm. You think yeah. we should get it for alpacas? Me, you, I think go so. into it? He's okay. got a lot of land, yeah. yeah I'm I'd down. say it's very affordable. Uh, mm -hmm. he, you, he usually doesn't do things over the top. He's a very conservative fellow. Nah. So. Uh, yeah. Anyways, good luck to Kanye and Kim. Uh, Kim yeah, Exactly. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> who knows? The circle of life will come back for those two folks. Uh, That'd be nice. Second one, Carmelo Anthony and Lala. What? Say what? Yeah. Really? Yeah, Carmelo Anthony and Lala. They, they, they separated after 16 years together oh no six That's sad yeah i know i know she's done like a hundred things since 2001 but i was thinking about it i pretty much only know her for trl that's a fact it's sad <laughs> i pretty much only know her for total request live hmm. from 2001 aside from that i'm like eh, i'm not up i i hear she was on the the show power which i have not seen any of either so yeah, I don't know. No, I don't know what that is. No. I I think she they got they they broke up because Carmela decided to go to L.A. as far as playing. She was just like Jesus, Carmelo, just retire, you old man. And he's like, I can do it. I can get a championship, babe. I know it. Let's go. And she was like, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, third one. This one's interesting. This one's interesting right here, Mike. Zach Efron. Vanessa Valladares. Huh? Huh? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they broke up, Mike. They broke up. Really? I don't I don't know who Vanessa Valladares is, but uh they broke Girl, up. Oh, come on. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> I I mean even though I don't know much about this Vanessa character, let's be honest. She's not good enough for Zach. Nope. I'm I'm just going to yeah. say Unless her, unless her name's Leonardo DiCaprio, she is not good enough for Zac Efron. Let's be real here, okay? Yeah. 
Uh, to, uh, anyways, good good luck, <laughs> Vanessa. Good luck in. I don't even. I'm not sure. I didn't even look up what she does. Girl, come on. So I'm not sure what would. I, I'm guessing she's an actress. I'm gonna guess. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Fourth. This one was this this one was interesting. Katie Holmes, Emilio Vitolo. Hmm. Yeah, they broke up. They broke up. Ah. And Emilio, in case you're wondering, I didn't know either. This one I immediately looked up. He was a chef. Word. He's a, he's a chef. Word. Which he's got a chef name. Yeah, he's got a chef name. Exactly. <laughs> but like I was thinking, no offense to Emilio, he's following up Jamie Fox on this one. Like that's who she was going out with before Emilio was Jamie really? Fox. Yeah. You're the next guy in the lineup after a man who sold millions of records, been in blockbuster movies. I mean, starred in a film with Leonardo DiCaprio. Come on. So true. Come on, Emilio. Like So so it was Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, and then Emilio? I think there might have been some other people in there after oh, okay. a, after Tom Cruise. I guess Cruise. that was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Katie gets I'm not I don't want to I don't want to make her sound like a, sal, a sidewalk Sally or anything, but I mean, <laughs> you know, Katie, Katie's had some boyfriends. She's got in there. She's she's mixed it up. I th- I think there okay. were other people. I don't I don't, you know, I'm going to check it. I'm writing it down. I don't know. Don't worry, guys. TMZ's on the case. I've got it. <laughs> I've got it. Don't worry. Um, okay. So that's all the breakups I want to talk about. That's that's the breakup sides. Let's go to the feel goods. Let's move right. on to the new couples. So yeah. first on the new couples, an old couple from 2001. We just recycled it. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck. Woo! Yes. Woo! Man. Love it. I was looking at these two. I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're back together. But man, do they have some baggage. Good Lord. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, J-Lo, just J-Lo. She's got three ex-husbands, two kids, one ex-puff daddy. She's got like 15 <laughs> different business ventures with her boyfriend, A-Rod. Like, good Lord. Yeah. Ben Affleck, yeah. Ben Affleck, he's got one, he's got one ex-wife, he's got three kids. But I mean, I was just thinking, like, especially on like the J Lo side, like I could just imagine her and Ben like sitting there, and she gets like a phone call, and she's like, "Oh, geez, it's my ex," and Ben's <laughs> and Ben's like, "Chris," she's like, "No, Mark, no, Puffy, no, Casper, no, A Rod, no." Me? Am I calling you? Was it me? I don't know. <laughs> like it's just good. Too many people. Too too many. Just too much. I mean, I'm glad they found each other though. Yeah. Like they got back together. And let's be honest, J Lo looks absolutely ridiculous at 52 years old. What? The like it's yeah, it's wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. Wild. Uh, second one. We're we're switching to the young folks. The Young Bucks. Here we go. Olivia Rodrigo and Adam Faze. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't know who they are. <laughs> Do you not know Olivia Rodrigo? Nobody. I don't know. Oh, anybody, man. No. She's hot in the streets, Mike. <laughs> she is hot okay. in the street. She's a young singer. She's got all the high school and the college folks all up in arms. So true. She mm. she did she did a breakup song called Driver's License that got her really super hot. Mm. It was basically like, you know, her and her boyfriend were supposed to be uh 
together forever and they broke up and now she drives by his his house and oh god it's sad you know that's uh <laughs> so and she she helped out joe biden she she went to the white house to try to get young folks vaccinated that was a big thing she did this. Oh, okay yeah yeah she's 18 she's going out with adam face who's 24 i knew nothing about adam face but apparently he's a producer and a podcaster. Hmm. That's what wow. that's what Adam does. So apparently, I mean, no offense to Adam, but I think he's 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 batting out of his league right here. Uh, hmm. I mean, he 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 really dated up on this one. So good for Adam. <laughs> good for you, Adam. Yeah, good for him. Um, third one. This one I found really interesting. I think probably a lot of people have heard about this one, but Aaron Rodgers and Shailene Woodley. Shailene hmm. Woodley. Yeah. Yeah, and she starred in a lot of things. Like, I didn't know most of them. Uh, she was in Divergent. She was in that. Um, okay. But she had, like, I, I saw on uh, Jimmy Fallon, she had such a weird way of describing Aaron Rodgers. Like, because they brought up her getting engaged because they're engaged. They're not just going out. They're engaged now. And yeah. um, he, uh, she was like, he's, first of all, just wonderful incredible human be human being but i never thought i'd be engaged to someone who threw balls for a living huh i never <laughs> thought as a little girl yeah i'm going to marry someone who throws balls huh? yeah but he's really just so good at it and i'm really impressed he can throw fastballs mm. he can throw slow balls high balls low balls end mm. quote <laughs> that's how she described him like yeah if i were aaron Rodgers, i'd be that. like yeah i don't think we should be engaged like <laughs> I, yeah, these are footballs yeah like <laughs> why you gotta degrade it just by balls make me sound like some kind of weird sex worker or something i don't know it's just yeah no thank you but anyways i hope shay and aaron work out good Good luck to you guys. I was still mm -hmm. on sort of Danica Patrick when I heard that one. I was like, oh, I thought he was still with the race car driver. Not anymore. Okay, that's mm. over with. Anyways, the last one, probably, I don't know. This could be the most interesting one. Casey Musgraves and Cole Schaefer. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Do you know Casey? Uh, I have no idea. Who of that course, is. of course, Mike. <laughs> Mike. Mike is the absolute best for this segment. Who? What? <laughs> this person exists? Who are these really? People? Casey is a famous uh, country music singer. Very famous. She's probably. I mean, you know, I'd put her up right now as far as female artists. Probably the, one of the most famous female artists on the countryside. She just did SNL oh, okay. too as a as the musical artist. So true. Uh, she did. She did her. Uh, she did a song completely in the nude on SNL. Oh. Yeah. Wait, what? She basically like do you, uh, you. You've seen Forrest Gump, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. When Jenny does her, you know, show and she's there completely naked with her guitar in front mm -hmm. of her, she did exactly that with her song. That's how she performed. Yeah, it's a little, little odd. Um, hmm. But she's now going out with Cole Schaefer, who once again, like many of these folks, I had no idea who Cole Schaefer is. Apparently, he is a poet. Word. Hmm. Poet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which... Seems like such a wild job in 2021. Like, 
I mean, obviously, poetry is all around us. But to actually have the title poet. Yeah. Like. So you write professionally? Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's sort of like having the job like street candle lighter. Like, it just doesn't seem current. Like, who's like, we need to capture this moment in structured <laughs> verse. Quick, someone get the town poet. Like, it just, I don't know. It's weird. And Casey said, uh, when they were talking about them getting together, Casey said uh, Cole didn't know who she was when they met. Which she was uh, real huge fans, and now that I know, uh, we could say the same thing about Mike if she's interested. Just, <laughs> but, but like I sort of wondered if Cole told his friends the same thing. Like guys, when I met Kay Casey, she had no idea who I was. Can you believe it? She didn't know this poet. Is that insane? Is, does she has she been living under a rock? Hello, I'm Cole Schaefer, a sellout Madison Square Garden to read my poems. Come on, like, just sort of weird. The poet, the poet, Casey Musgraves <laughs> and the poet. All right, Mike, you are now caught up on all the hot goss, man. All the hot gossip. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, and now that we're up on it, are you ready to fire up the show? Let's do it. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Five. All three engines up and burning. Two, one. Zero and lift off. We have a fantastic show. We've got Oyan Mukherjee uh, from the fantastic band Darling Side. Yes! He's going to be on the show. We're going to talk the newest album, Fish Pond Fish. We're going to talk uh, Kansas City. That's where he grew up. Never been to Kansas City. Have you ever, you ever done some shows in Kansas City, Mike? No, never been to Kansas City. Oh man, uh, I, I think it. Uh, you know. Rides the line there. Missouri and Kansas. It rides the yeah, line. Yeah, right there. Uh, anyways, we're going to talk about it. But first, we need to start where we start. Birthday suit. Birthday suit. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this one, I think you got Well, right. I know you know. We'll I know you know who it is. It's just the name. I yeah, yeah, a yeah. thousand percent know you know who it is, but uh, his name's a little unique. Uh, so, born on <laughs> October 13th, 1971 in London to a Jewish family, our birthday suit wearer's family was extremely academic, and our birthday suit wearer was a good student. He ended up going... Uh, ended up studying at Christ College where he wrote his undergraduate thesis on the role of Jews in American civil rights movement. While in undergrad, he started performing in Drama Club as well, where he performed shows like Fiddler on the Roof. After undergrad, he started working in small roles on TV and theater. He went to Paris and took clown training under Felipe Gallier, one of the mm. most world-renowned uh, clowns. Mm. Yeah. Our birthday suit hmm. wearer shot to fame when he made up a character, Ollie G, on the British television show Eleven O'Clock. In 2003, he showed uh, he, his show was exported to America on HBO. His second character he made up became the center of the movie Borat: Cultural Learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. He returned with Borat in 2020 with Borat's subsequent movie film. 
He's played in other small rules like Jean Girard, the French rival to Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights, but most known for Borat. Name that birthday suit wearer. Sasha Baron Cohen? Yes! There is. That it how is. you say it? Nice. Sasha Baron Cohen. You got it, man. You got it. I mean, so- all right, yeah. That was an easy one. Well, you know, <laughs> I knew you know, I knew you knew Borat. I just didn't know. Like sometimes people forget Sasha because let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sasha's sure. not a, a a typical uh first name usually for dudes. Mm-hmm. I at least I don't know any Sashas. There may be a lot of them. I don't know. There. Any. I don't I don't have any friends that are Sashas, but you know, if Sasha Cohen wants to be my friend, you know, I'll be his friend. That's a fact. It seems like a seems like a fun guy. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, he's turning uh, 50. Wow. Say what? 50 for nice. Sasha Barrett Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, Did you see the most recent Borat? Yeah, it was great. I, I enjoyed it. I did not enjoy it as the as much as the first one. I'm not going to try to no oversell way. it. But uh, no way. it was still good. It was still good. I mean, it definitely had to be hard doing everything over the pandemic and like basically completely switching what they were planning on doing for the... The movie and everything, that probably was yeah. a little tough. But uh, yeah. still good. Still great. Happy birthday to Sasha. Uh, Mike, are you ready? Rip some headlines. Yeah. Let's do it. It's now time for Rip from the Headlines. Okay. Uh, Mike, uh, you know the saying, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, this next yep. story Heard is that. a real-life application Except instead of fish, it's pigs. And instead of a barrel, it's a fenced-in field. So mm, so Jason Southers was sitting on his farm that he owns. He owns a farm called Goat Daddy's Farm in Elgin, South Carolina. And in case you're wondering, <laughs> they do predominantly have goats. That's the main thing they have. Um, but so they're sitting on Goat Daddy's Farm. And uh, they also have some pigs. So true. And Jason was sitting on his farm with his daughter, and all of a sudden they heard gunshots. Now, obviously, as you can imagine, when you're sort of in the countryside of South Carolina, you probably hear gunshots a, a, a fair amount of time, you know? But these were really close. And he was like, that's weird. And they started looking for the gunshots, started looking around. And eventually... He decided, he's like, it's got to be on the farm. It's got to be where the pigs are being kept. He ran over to the pig pen, and he found a 16-year-old hunter who had already shot six of his pigs inside an electric fence on Jason's property. Girl, come on! And, And Jason was like, hey, hey, stop killing my pigs! And the guy was like, oh... Oh, these these are farm animals. Whoops. Sorry about that. Like, that that happened. He thought those okay. were wild pigs, Mike. Somehow, this guy, he's 16 years old, was like, oh my God, look at all these pigs. Just all together here. This is great. <laughs> this is amazing. Like, I'm betting his parents, I'm betting the hunter's parents thought something was up. When the week before he came back from hunting with an Angus cow and was like, bag this sucker 20 yards from someone's <laughs> barn. Wildlife is amazing, you guys. Like, How many points is this? Exactly. Like, I just feel like, I mean, 
Didn't he stop? Like, didn't he stop before and just like, how did they get all stuck behind this fence? How, <laughs> how did they all end up there? Like, just seems like you would have some moment of clarity. But apparently not. Nope. Apparently not. It, nah. was, it was a sad day, the Saturday uh, following this massacre on Goat Daddy's Farms, apparently. Uh, really unfortunate. Yeah, Goat Daddy's uh, has people over on the the weekends, apparently, too, to do farm stuff. You know, just like, like it's an open farm, you know, where they sell, like, mm-hmm. goat milk and cheese. That's just now. Now they gotta have a memorial for pigs. It's just not a good thing. Uh, anyways, Mike. Speaking <laughs> of meat, huh? This next story has some meat in it, and uh, okay. I definitely don't believe it. But <laughs> up in Nova Scotia, the police in Cape Breton uh, have told the media that cocaine sales on the streets are way up. And people are buying the cocaine with COVID relief funds and, this is the kicker, and stolen meat. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Stolen meat. Yeah. So John Campbell, a street crimes officer in the Cape, said, quote, people go to No Frills, which is a grocery store, no frills, and they steal hundreds of dollars in meat products and then take it to the drug dealer's house in exchange for cocaine. It all starts at organized crime. Word. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now, Mike, set aside the fact that the police uh, that claim this, they don't actually have any evidence of this happening. Like, they don't actually have any proof like a recording or somebody saying this they just apparently decided that this is what's happening um but like set that aside do you see a drug dealer accepting meat for their product like (laughs) i uh yeah no i don't know i I just don't see it like drug dealers like dude last night Moved an ounce. I moved an ounce for some straight up Wagyu A5 filet. It was awesome. <laughs> like, I just don't see most drug dealers being up for a trade in drugs for meat. Doesn't. Well, some Wagyu, though. Wagyu. I mean, we got. That's a different. That's, you a, know, that's a high type level. of meat. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. I did go for the <laughs> best. I did. <laughs> Maybe not some like Angus beef burgers. Yeah. <laughs> like, but but uh, speaking of Wagyu, uh, <laughs> our former guest, Matt Stoney, uh, world champion uh, eater, yes! uh, he actually on his Instagram came down to Miami and ate, uh, I think I want to say it was eight pounds of Wagyu in five minutes. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, that is, par- that's a lot. Apparently, it's like this world-famous uh, Wagyu restaurant that they, they basically only serve Wagyu, and uh, the guy that owns it wanted him to, like, you know, uh, come in and promote it because Matt Stoney has so many followers on YouTube and Instagram. And uh, hmm. he went down there, and they cooked, I think it was something like $80,000 worth of Wagyu A5. Yeah, filet, and he ate eight pounds of it in five minutes. And I was like, wow. man, talk about clogging your arteries. That was definitely doing Yeah, eight pounds, Ugh, man. Eight that's pounds. A lot. Matt can eat. Matt can eat. He ate 20, 
over 20 pounds of pumpkin pie before for a record. Okay, so this isn't new for him to be doing this no, like, no. competitive eating. No, stuff. oh okay. no, no. He's he's the one guy, Matt Stoney, we had him on the show two years ago. He's the one guy uh that beat uh Joey Chestnut in Joey Chestnut's reign. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. He beat him in two thousand fourteen or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. This dude this dude's thrown back like sixty seven hot dogs at Nathan's before. In, in 10 minutes so he can okay. eat he can eat and he does and and listeners know i'm sure if they've ever watched he's got some interesting videos on instagram and youtube if you watch some of his uh like he'll do he'll do a challenge to himself just every week like he just comes up with something different he did uh he did twelve thousand uh calories of salt and vinegar chips just the other day jeez um oof it, yeah yeah, it, it, it looked pretty gross, but at the same time, amazing. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, I got <laughs> sidetracked. Um, now that we've talked a little bit about drugs, let's talk another story about drugs here. Girl, come on! Uh, I've got a little Florida drug action. And surprisingly, Mike, it's a story about meth that doesn't involve Polk County. Huh? Oh. Huh? Yeah. yeah, that's surprising. It's very surprising. A twist. Yeah. A twist at the end of that article. <laughs> Dade. Name or whatever. Dade County. Dade County Dade. for this one. Yeah, down in Miami. So a meth mm. lab was discovered in a high rise in Ball Harbor. Now, for folks that don't know, Ball Harbor is like one of the ritziest places in Miami. This high-rise was literally one block from the shops at Ball Harbor. And for the folks, that the non-Floridians that don't know the shops at Ball Harbor, these are stories, that are, these are stores like Harry Winston and Gucci and Montclair and Rolex and Valentino and Versace. Mm. Yes. Versace. Yeah. Yeah. Got to make sure I get the Versace right, Mike. You got to... Oh, is that how it is? Versace? Yeah, you got an A, not E. It's not yeah. Chi. Yeah, Versace, no. 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 The, oh. That Addison oh. Ray, you know, the famous TikToker, that, that lady, yeah. she got roasted mm -hmm. for pronouncing it Versace. She oh. uh, she she called it Versace on, like, she, I guess she got to go to, like, some, like, uh, I think it was, like, fashion, you know, fashion runway deal. And, she, of course, because she's got millions of followers on TikTok, they hired her to just go backstage and talk, you know? Mm -hmm. And she yeah. was like, oh, and they've got Versace. And, of course, there are a bunch of people in comments like, what a moron. Oh, my God. She can't even <laughs> say it right. There goes Versace's uh, reputation. And I was like, really? What about the Migos? The Migos got the Versace, Versace, Versace. Yeah, exactly. Like they say Versace eight yeah. times in a row. Well, I, I, and <laughs> I mean, on top of that, though, I was just like, really? Who thought the girl from Lafayette, Louisiana, that's been famous for a year, was going to nail Versace? Like, <laughs> who thought she was going to be up on the... Oh, yeah, definitely. That And second, who gives a uh, I mean, <laughs> right. come on. Anyway, haters gonna hate. Exactly. Haters. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I got sidetracked. This story was about a meth lab in a classy high rise in this ritzy area of of Miami. 
And like, I just, like, it was sort of weird. I was like, they cooked, they cooked meth there? Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to play into stereotypes, Mike, but I was like, I, I almost thought a trailer was necessary operating equipment for a meth lab. Like, if you don't have one, it's not going to work. Like, I was just like, really? <laughs> A uh, high rise. <laughs> okay, I guess. But anyways, they shut it down, yeah. Mike. So it's all that's good. All good. All good. In those, yeah, those types of things explode. Yeah, you know? they yeah. have a tendency to do that. So it's good thing. Good thing they got it. Uh, get it away. Mm -hmm. I got uh, one story here, real quick before uh, before we go to break, Mike. Uh, scary, scary past month for two dudes in the Solomon Islands. So, hmm. LeVay and Junior, these two guys from the Solomon Islands, they, sh they, uh, they set out from Mono Island on September 3rd. Uh, they were taking a trip. They are going to take a trip to Noro. So, from Mono to Noro. And uh, they've got a small 60-horsepower boat. And this is about a 120-mile trip to go from uh, uh, Mono to Noro. But mm -hmm. almost as soon as they hit out into the open waters, uh, the weather got really bad. Uh, so the, all, all these storms started flying through. And not too long after that, their engine died and their GPS died. Yeah. Yeah, so they had no, no idea where they were going and no engine. But uh, luckily they packed enough uh, uh, oranges, apparently... I don't know. Big fans of oranges, so they had a whole bunch of oranges on their boat, and they kept picking up po uh, coconuts that were floating by in the water. They'd pick those up, too. And they uh, ended up floating for 29 days. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. In the wrong direction, and ended up 240 miles northwest of where they started. They ended up landing in Papua New Guinea. And uh, they were extremely weak when they were found, obviously, 29 days, uh, being stuck on a boat, only eating oranges and coconut. Um, they were found by some local fishermen, and uh, they were actually so weak, they actually had to be carried off of the boat. But, uh, but <laughs> this is the best part. So when they got carried off the boat and they were talking to him, they, they talked to LeVay, and he said, quote, I had no idea what was going on while I was out there. I didn't hear anything about COVID or anything else. I mean, I look forward to going back to home, but I guess it was a pretty nice break from everything. Word. End quote. <laughs> that's, that's the point we've come to in the world now, Mike. These dudes basically experienced the movie Castaway, and they were like, <laughs> you know what? Not that bad. I I think we'll go with that. Like they were happy with the break from this life being stranded in someone's worst nightmare and they were like, "You know what? It was all right. It was pretty mm. good." Yeah. Wow. Also that says a lot for Junior, his boat partner. I mean, you know, if he was still that that psyched, you got to you got to imagine Junior's a pretty cool guy to hang out with on a boat then. Yeah, definitely. Feel like after 29 days, you'd hate whoever you were with in there, but he was. <laughs> He'd be wanting to eat them. <laughs> exactly. He didn't. He didn't mention either. He wasn't like, I'd like to eat this dude or punch this dude. So, good. Good for Junior. Anyways, I'm yeah. glad to hear they're healthy and back on land. 
Uh, Mike, we are going to take a break. We are going to hear from our guest today. This is Darling Side right here on the Doc G Show.
are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, Florida. Listeners, if you haven't, make sure you download the Doc G Podcast. You never know when you're going to be caught on a boat without any GPS (laughs) and you need somebody to keep you company. Who better to keep you company than Mike and Ben? We'll do a good Mm. job. We don't know yeah, we'll try. anything about <laughs> celebrities, nope. but we will ramble on about them for like 15 minutes. And people mm-hmm. will be like, how do they not know anything about these people? We just don't. Sorry, guys. We don't. We don't. But yeah. again, I promise you if, you, if you subscribe to the show, you'll only mildly regret it. Just, yeah, just a little bit. Like, sort of like when you went to Wendy's at midnight and you were like, ah, that's a bad mm-hmm. decision. That's sort of what it'll be like. Just like that. So down, download yeah. and subscribe, guys. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, Mike, uh, got to give the shout-outs to the regulars. Here go the regulars. Shout-out. Shout-out to Jacksonville, Florida, Columbia, South Carolina, Radford, Virginia, Gainesville, Florida, Ashburn, Virginia, Dublin, Ireland, San Diego, California, Barcelona, Spain, Anoka, Minnesota, Citrus Heights, California, Jittawa, Italy, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Richardson, Texas, Peoria, Illinois, Winfield, West Virginia, Columbus, Georgia, Katy, Texas, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Boardman, Oregon. Shout-out. There we go. The regulars. Nice. The regulars. Just all around great places to listen to the Doc G show. Just Mm -hmm. great places in general. Uh, Semi-regulars. We got some interesting semi-regulars here. Some more more internationals here. Shout out. Shout out to Moscow, Russia. Yango, Myanmar. San Francisco, California. Los Angeles, California. Cincinnati, Ohio. Attleboro, Massachusetts, Norwich, United Kingdom, Laurel, Mississippi, Baltimore, Maryland, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Mobile, Alabama, Charlottesville, Virginia, Bloomington, Indiana, Providence, Rhode Island, Mazo, Italy, Nottingham, United Kingdom, Elk Grove, California, and Zurich, Switzerland. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, did you catch Laurel, Mississippi in there? Hmm. Laurel. Hmm. Yeah, Laurel, Mississippi. Yeah, I think I've been there. That's passed through. That's a that's a famous spot now, thanks to an HGTV show. There's uh the the show Hometown, Hometown. There, it's sort of like mm. I feel like it's HG, HGTV's answer to Fixer Uppers there with Chip and Joanna after they after they finished. I don't know if you ever saw Chip and Joanna. I don't know. Um. If you're a 40-year-old housewife like me, Mike, but I enjoy watching (laughs) HGTV from time to time, uh, you know, just to look at how I can update my house even though I don't own one. That's a fact. You know, that's uh, very important to me. Regardless, Laurel, Mississippi is where that show is. So I'm guessing it's someone on on the show that was watching or listening. So thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Um, Okay, Mike, I've got... Got a miscellaneous file uh, I need to open up real quick. Okay. I was noticing this on social media, and I've noticed this in real life and in social media. This is a reoccurring thing that it irritates me a little bit. Uh, People will either show something on their phone or they'll take a screenshot of something and post it on social media. And Mm -hmm. inevitably, 
someone will look at this picture and will comment either in real life or on social media. Oh my God, you need to charge your phone. What? <laughs> right? You've seen this, right? This is a, I'm not imagining oh, this. Yeah. This happens. And like, I was, I, I saw this because, uh, you know, good friend of the show, Andy Frasco, he, he posted something on his Instagram. And that's what he was like at, I forget, he was like at like 12% battery life or something <laughs> like that. And like somebody, like the first comment, charge your phone. And I was just like, why do you care? Like, why? Why are you worried? What's the worst thing that can happen? Oh, no, my my battery died. I finally turned back into a normal person that doesn't have to look at my phone every 30 seconds. Like, so true. Seriously, it's not a good indication when somebody essentially acts like a junkie who hasn't got their fix when your phone is about to die. It's not even their phone, and they're just imagining yeah. the horribleness of what it would be like for them. And you're just like, what? What? You know what, though? I, I sort of, after reading enough of those comments, now I keep my phone charged most of the time oh man like i mean I, mine i try to keep it mine mine stays pretty much all the time charged because i charge it at night when i go to sleep and i'm a loser that uh -huh. doesn't really use my phone ever so it doesn't really <laughs> die during the day that much so like i'm just like good like if my phone died I, this would literally be my reaction oh better plug it in that would be like I'm not, like, I don't see, it's not like your livelihood or any, I just, it amazes me. I, get get over your phone, folks. It's not that important. I'm just Unless yeah. you're using your phone to listen to the Doc G show, it's not worth it, guys. It's not <laughs> worth it. Uh, unfortunately, though, unfortunately, though, I have to have my phone charged and on it most times because... Sometimes, like my agents will yeah, reach out to me. Well, you got you got and if work. If I miss that, yeah, it's gone. Yeah, you <laughs> got you got jobs. You got to do it. Like that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, <laughs> but when when it's just people like, oh no, you wouldn't be able to access Instagram. Like, <laughs> yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. who cares? Who cares? Uh, yeah, Mike. Now that I got that out of the way, we need to move on once again. I've done it two weeks in a row. I'm getting actually regular at this. I got to go over some things we talked about, and we did not tie up the loose ends from last week's show. So, cool. I got to break out the previously on the Doc G show. Here we go. Previously on the Doc G show. Two things. Two things, uh, and they both have to do with alpacas, because we did have alpaca news last Sweet. week. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> First off, I told you, if you remember, Mike, that no alpacas are uh, wild. They're mm -hmm. all they're all um, uh, domesticated. Domesticate. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they they have been bred from llamas, and then the other animal is the vacuna. The vacuna. Mm. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Essentially, it looks like a, a skinnier version of an alpaca, basically. Okay. Like, it's sort of imagine a llama and a and a deer together. That's sort of what a vacuna looks like, to me okay. at least. Uh, but apparently, like, 
it's like I, I guess since it's since they're actually wild animals there in South America, like it's even more expensive than than alpaca fiber. Like it's it's pricey for vacuna. I saw like Saks Fifth Avenue had vacuna stuff. Ralph Lauren, uh, for instance, at Neiman Marcus, there was a Stefano Ricci uh, vacuna cashmere jacket. Hmm. You know how much that jacket was? How much? Eight thousand four hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. I, I don't know. I might have said, by the way, Stefano Ricci. I don't know if that's actually how you pronounce the name. I've never. Somebody's gonna roast me uh, like Versace. I don't know. Because <laughs> uh, call me crazy, but I've never bought a jacket for eight thousand five hundred dollars. Nope. So. Um, but I'm going to be honest, too. That jacket, uh, I'm sure it feels amazing. I mean, it's cashmere and vacuna, and apparently that's a pretty good mm -hmm. mix. But it <laughs> it looks like a jacket a 95-year-old man would wear, like, in his retirement home to play chess. So true. Like, it's just this, like, it's the goofiest, like, members-only style jacket, except just furry. And I'm like, really? Like, hmm. uh, if you didn't tell me... That it was like you know uh, this famous designer and and that expensive. I I seriously wouldn't pay more than twenty dollars for it. Off of how it looks, <laughs> I'd be like, I'll give you fifteen dollars on a cold day for that. That's that's what I would do. It's ridiculous. Eight thousand four hundred fifty dollars. Anyway, yeah, lot. Second thing I needed to f uh, follow up on, Mike. You asked on the last uh, on the last fact about alpacas how far do they spit well mm. <laughs> i researched it and uh i several several great uh sources mike savvyfarmlife.com um cottoncreekfarms.com and agriculture.com those are agriculture.com yeah okay those are my three sources and all of them confirm the same number i feel like they're getting it from the same source themselves but it was <laughs> 10 feet 10 wow. feet so they can they can spit a loogie pretty far pretty yeah that's pretty far yeah i mean you don't even have to be up to the fence for them to get to you there especially uh, i'm guessing if they angle it if they get a good angle on mm -hmm. you yikes watch out you're going to be covered in alpaca loogie. That's <laughs> nobody wants that. Nope. That's that'll ruin your day. Yeah. Uh, okay, Mike, I've got one leftover story. This story, this is just this is such an American story right here. This is this is so America. America! Um, in Troy, Michigan. Troy, Michigan. People were getting arrested. Uh, they were getting arrested for really weird things, Mike. A 45-year-old lady, she walked into Paradise Fruit Market, which sounds nice. I wouldn't mind going to Paradise Fruit Market. Um, that sounds nice. It does, right? And as she was yeah. shopping, she heard a song that made her, quote, sad. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she heard a song, and she was like, hmm, sad, right? And she went to the employees and said, hey song makes me feel sad stop it and she wanted them to stop the music word and the workers then mike had the audacity 
nay, the temerity to tell this lady they couldn't control the music. Girl, come on! They did not have that power. They were like, uh, oh, wow. yeah, we can't really turn it off. The managers turn it off. We have to listen to this crap all day. And she was like, you turn it off now! This here's America, <laughs> America! And this makes me sad. And she started freaking out on them. Yelling, going crazy. And the employees were like, um, we're going to call the police. And they did. <laughs> they called the we police. We have a Karen. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, she was like, I'm not standing for this. So she left before the police got there. But then, oddly, she decided to call the cops herself and let them know, hey, if you're coming mm. over to Paradise Fruit Market, I'm leaving, and I'm going to be at <laughs> Sterling Heights if you want to catch up with me. I don't know why she told them where she was going. But so the cops caught up with her at Sterling Heights, and they were like, hey, so why were you freaking out again? And she was she started freaking out on the cops and she was like, I don't need to tell you that song makes me sad. I don't want to talk about it anymore. And like the cops were like, well, hey, just settle down. And she uh, she freaked out on them enough to where they were like, hey, if you don't settle down, we're going to have to arrest you. And she didn't <laughs> settle down. So they had to arrest her and they did arrest her. And, you know, it was basically just to uh, calm her down. But then she got released from the, the jail a couple hours later, and she walked directly to the police department and started yelling at the front desk attendant at the police department. And then the police wow. were like, hey, we're going to have to arrest you for real this time on disorderly conduct. Please leave the police station. And she didn't. And they arrested her on disorderly wow. conduct. So... That's interesting, Mike. I feel like... That is really interesting. I, I want to know what song it was. That's the main thing. <laughs> like, I want to know what song set her off. Some Drake song, probably. <laughs> no, no, that's what I was thinking. I, who, who wants to take bets out there? The song was Adele, Someone Like You. Oh, yeah, Adele. Oh, man, that song. I'll put money on it that it was that song because that song makes me want to claw my eyes out. Like, yeah. the, the, no offense to Adele, it's a great song, but it's super sad and it drags on and it sounds like she's screaming to like to be put out of her misery. It's a horrible song. It's yeah. just, oh man, I had to hear, when I worked at the gym, Mike, I heard that song over and over and over at again. At a gym? Yes. They played that song? Yes, oh, because man. they played like, you know, the X, you know, Sirius XM like pop station. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, and it just like, oh my Jesus, that song would come on and I'm like, who wants to bench press to this? What is nobody? Come on! I bet you. I bet you the the reps go down during oh. that song. I bet you if you were to look at the amount of reps, a thousand you percent. Would see that <laughs> a thousand percent. Uh, I will also say there's zero percent chance that the song that was making her upset was "Blinding Lights" by the weekend. No way. Yeah, no way. Unless unless that lady hates dancing or like on or like her life depends on it. It was not weekend. <laughs> like I. I, I can't I can't fight it, man. When that song comes on, you just want to groove. Like you're just yeah, yeah you're like one. put on a different planet, a groovy planet, and you're just like, let's go for it. Like it's just yeah, 
It's amazing, man. He Hats. pulled something. Hmm? He pulled something from the '70s into that song, or 80s. the '80s, or 80s. like a blend. Yeah, yeah. '80s. You, the 80s. you yeah, get yeah, so much Michael 80s. Jackson from that. You get so much. Yeah. Like just oh, and you know what? My I can't think of the uh, the producer. I'm gonna find the producer for you. But the producer that he worked with on that song is the same dude that worked with the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Mm. Yeah, that that guy knows how to make catchy hits. Backstreets back, streets, back. Nice. all right. Yeah. Bow, bow, now, now. Had a lot. He just keeps coming out <laughs> with them, man. He keeps doing it. Anyways, I got sidetracked. Uh, let's go ahead, take a break. We will be right back with Oyan Mukherjee from Darlingside, right here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLPFM, UNF Jacksonville. The Doc G Show, because sometimes you need something playing in the background. Every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on 99.5 FM, Spinnaker. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Today we are joined by a fantastic musician and one-fourth of the group Darling Side, Mr. Oyan Mukherjee. Oyan, how's it going? Uh, great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Now, uh, you guys finally got back into the got back into the live shows. In September, you were doing some uh, northeastern shows there, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. Uh, you got a couple coming up in Connecticut and Vermont. How the uh, how the live show's been going so far? Um, it has been a mixed bag. It has been really great to be back on the road, and it's been really great to be playing again with the guys. Uh, that's something I've missed very much over uh, the past eighteen months. Yeah. And um, the shows have been a mixed bag. There's some of them where it's felt uh, we're we're a super cautious group in general, and especially with uh, with two guys who have uh, unvaccinated kids at home. So. Mm. Uh, the um, there is a decent amount of anxiety going into the shows and and uh, and just making sure that and, and so far venues and and um, promoters have been great with all that stuff. But uh, there have been a few shows that have been uh, really great. Everyone masked and just like we feel comfortable playing and singing and and we know that there's a lot of protocol going into uh, making sure everyone who's coming in has has uh, tested negative or or, or is vaccinated. And there's some other shows where it's, it's been a little more loosey goosey, uh, where like you know because of state mandates, et cetera, people aren't required to be masked. So um, that has felt and 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 I'm slightly underattended too, just because uh, some of our uh, a decent portion of our audience is silver haired, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, and we have a pretty solid mix, but. Um, but a, a, a decent percentage is, is an older crowd. And um, I think I was just reading something online today that uh, older folks are more hesitant than the younger ones for pretty uh, for, for self-evident reasons, I think, to be going out into crowded rooms. And so uh, our, like, you know, we, we, we book our shows based on our previous draw mm-hmm. um, generally. Uh, and and uh, so a few of the, like, we've been seeing some, some significantly smaller numbers, uh, I think, largely due to, to COVID concerns. And so mm. some of the shows have been really great. I feel like 
small room, feeling packed, but also safe. Other ones have been sort of what you would uh, least want in a post-COVID show, which is sort of everyone feeling a little anxious, unmasked, underattended, and just like kind of a sad, empty-ish larger room. So, so it's it's it's, uh, it's everything in between so far. Um, huh. And and uh, we are we're just dipping a toe into. We're not doing any extended tours at this point. So yeah, um, it's been good to just be doing uh, a few shows at a time. Yeah, so sort of sticking to the the, the northeast, uh, sort of close to home there. Because you guys, you guys, exactly, are yeah, based in Boston. Yep, yep. But but you're originally from Kansas City. Uh, that is correct. I'm originally from Kansas City. Yeah, it seems like seems like you got a lot of love for for Kansas City. I now I know your I know your brother works in the restaurant industry in Kansas City, so you can be biased if you want on this next question. But I've I've never been to Kansas City. If I'm going to Kansas City and I call you up and I say, Hey, I'm headed towards Kansas City. Where should I eat? What's what's like the best totally. restaurant that you would give me for Kansas City? Well, first off, I would I'm I'm appreciative of how much research you've done, knowing what, <laughs> knowing my brother's place of employment. I'm impressed, uh, and I, I actually have a few I have a few questions for you later on in the interview. That if you'll allow me, to of course, direction for a little bit. Yeah. Um. But well, so I would ask you what kind of food you're interested in. Um, Kansas City, and I, I would sort of preface that with uh, the the classic reason for traveling to Kansas City for food is. Um, barbecue. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the one of the three primary centers of barbecue in the U.S. is is KC, uh, yeah. and um, the burnt ends are a specialty. So mm. if you have never been to Kansas City and that's a, and you enjoy meat, if you're a meat eater, uh, yeah. which which I am, uh, I would encourage you to visit. And, and there are a huge number of places. Like you know, there there are endless debates as far as which is which best, best exemplifies um, KC barbecue. But some of the historic ones are, um, are Arthur Bryant is one of the one of the um, that oldest and most well-known uh, mm-hmm. Oklahoma Joe's is a great one that I enjoy a lot. But there, there are a huge number of, of uh, barbecue places in KC, so I would encourage. I would probably give you a list of those spots mm. and encourage you to pick the one that felt uh, most appropriate or was was easiest to get to. Nice. Um, I my older brother works at a, an excellent um, Indian restaurant in the suburbs called Touch of Asia, which mm. is uh, really good Indian food. But most people aren't going to Kansas City for Indian food. <laughs> However, if you have reason, to, if that's the thing you're into, uh, I would encourage that. I'm and then all for it. the third suggestion, all right, excellent. And then the the, um, the the restaurant that I probably have the most personal attachment to in in KC um, is also doubles as the Swiss consulate of Kansas City. But it's an excellent Swiss oh. pastry shop. It's uh, also a wine bar and it's a tea room um, called Andre's Confessory Suisse. And uh, my younger brother and I started out as uh, custodial staff there, and then eventually got to work out front um, dishing out pastries, which was awesome. But it is incredible swiss food um mm. and like very exacting um pastry chocolate making etc they're they're a uh, confectionery as well um and that is probably my one of my happiest places in the city is just is that place um nice it's just like a, a it's, it's yeah it's, it's just a, it's a candy shop um <laughs> effectively with with wine and and uh and coffee and and lunch stuff as well but uh those those would probably be that i would start there uh and then um and then, yeah, I, w- I would start with with sort of that trifecta and see what uh, what what you would be interested in. Um, I mean, and then and then go from there. You you took me you took me around the world, man. I like it. I got I've got <laughs> I've yeah, got barbecue. Actually. I've got Indian food. I've got Swiss food. I wasn't I was I mean I've actually heard that from a couple of folks from the uh, Kansas City area as far as just it's a lot more diverse in the food than you would expect for kansas city yeah i think i mean there are a lot of there i think i think any larger city has has pretty significant immigrant populations Mm -hmm. 
uh, or at least in the Midwest, uh, that is the case. Like, even the, I'm, I'm currently in Boston and um, make it up to Portland, Maine with some frequency. And Maine, I think, is known as perhaps, maybe this has changed, but was at one point known as the whitest state just in terms of demographic statistics. Yeah. Um, but there is, uh, there are some, Portland, Maine has some ex- extremely good restaurants. Uh, there's like a, a large, uh, I think, uh, there's large Somali population, I think, hmm. of immigrants within Maine, and and they're like so. You, you end up with with uh, folks who are who've been there for a while who end up putting putting a restaurant together, catering yeah. to their. Uh, and so you end up you end up with some very legit, authentic restaurants that you would not expect. Um, and then the same can be said for for a place like Boston. Uh, yeah. Um, there's like a large Laotian um, population and like lower mass, uh, which hmm. which and so you end that you have some like really cool yeah restaurants in this area. Um, but, uh, yeah, Kansas city, there, there is a, there also is plenty of like the new American stuff that everyone's like the small place. Um, the antler room is a really great place for, mm. for like, uh, like new American stuff that, that draws on a lot of different, different, uh, cuisines, Man. but, um, yeah, happy, happy to wax poetic about, I think I spent a lot of time thinking about food. So I'm, I'm <laughs> this the question that makes me happy. Same, same here, man. Same here. Uh, I, I have a food question for you. So I was looking over your CV. And um, it looks like you've done some research on uh, quercetin and uh, curcumin and, and a few other things. And I'm curious as to how Say what? Um, do you do you find yourself eating a decent amount of those like polyphenol plant uh, plants? Like do, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you supplement your diet with, with uh, a variety of things or do you tend to eat a wide variety based on the fact that this is a thing that you've studied plenty of? I have. Yes. In the past, I've I've definitely supplemented and I've tried to, you know, sort of point towards specific foods, you know, and, and that, that have high concentrations uh, of different um, phytochemicals in them that I'm, that I'm interested in. But I've definitely, you know, the, the interesting thing that I love, you know, talking about in that area is uh, the regulation of supplements. Because uh-huh. you know, uh, there the, most of the research in there, and and by the way, for the folks that are just sort of lost that <laughs> don't know, uh, we're talking about some of the research that I've done in the past as far as actually uh, phytochemical research uh, and its effects on sort of uh, inflammation and uh, well, and human performance in general. But there are definitely a lot of phytochemicals that have really, really amazing effects, especially in animal research, the the translation to human research, sometimes a little bit uh, lacking. But the biggest issue is when these these, uh, phytochemicals come out on the market, they're just not regulated well. Uh, You know, the the FDA basically uh, assumes, I mean, the the standing standing regulation now is the, the DSHEA Act. Uh, of 1994, uh, the Dietary Supple- uh, Supplement Health and Education Act of 94, and it basically says we're going to assume that this is fine, this is healthy, until you tell us otherwise. So there's no pre-market oh, regulation on anything that is a supplement in America. So, you know, you could sure. put whatever you want in these supplements and sell them, and nothing's going to happen to you, and nobody's ever going to basically look into it until there's you know massive adverse effects so i think a lot of time one it's it's sort of russian roulette when you take a uh you know a a, a curcumin supplement or something along those lines unless you have third-party testing of some kind so sure you know uh i i definitely think there is uh you know uh 
really high potential for all of those things in supplementation and just eating a very healthy diet. Obviously, eating a healthy diet is already uh, very proven to be beneficial regardless of what kind of phytochemicals you have. But the the supplementation is is very potentially beneficial. It's just... I think you, you you need better sources right now, uh, more cer- certain sources of what you're taking, uh, and I definitely that's the thing is that's I definitely don't recommend people just to go to GNC or Vitamin Chop to take take one because you just don't know what you're you're taking right off. Now, if, sure. If you, yeah. If, so do you end up eating like a? I was gonna ask like, do you end up eating a lot of turmeric as a result since you know that there's yeah or like other you, things yeah yeah you try you try to you know uh, i mean you know and i i think honestly they're after researching a lot of those phytochemicals like that and resveratrol these other things out there you you realize there's a benefit to most of these things and and just trying to get a high amount and a high variety i mean when you look at yeah. epidemiology studies that's what really seems to be benefit of long-term health is just a wide variety of phytochemicals from multiple different plants and fungi and and everything else you have so it's uh cool yeah yeah it's definitely though definitely some of the the most fun research out there i think and most interesting too yeah especially in the area of of gut bacteria you know, and the, the effects uh, of the phytochemicals on the gut bacteria and the, and the changes that you see. Very uh, cool. I never actually did any specific research there, but definitely, definitely cool stuff. Um, cool. I got sidetracked on on research. That doesn't often happen. That's that's good, though. That that's was, nice. That's because I, I asked, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to Kansas City where you you grew up, you you know music was sort of forced on you by what uh, what I could gather I mean not not in a bad way but your parents got you into music to sort of be a you know more rounded person uh just get you involved in things as far as sort of extracurriculars when when did you actually find the joy for playing yeah that took a while um uh, so you summed that up very, very nicely. My, my, uh, older brother, the, the, the brother who works at the Indian restaurant in Kansas mm-hmm. City has a moderate learning disability. And my parents were told that getting him started on, on an instrument early on would be helpful for his development. Like just to, to mm-hmm. it, it's sort of like a multi-pronged approach to, to, uh, getting like his, his, uh, mental development up to par with, with his peers and that kind of thing. And so, yeah. uh, they, they had him started. And then when my younger brother and I came around, uh, came of age, like, which was three, I guess, uh, <laughs> they decided to get us started on instruments as well and so um yeah i didn't i didn't particularly enjoy it um but did it because that was sort of the, the duty of the child within a, within a south asian household is you just do what your parents tell you and yeah and uh that but that was what what happened but um yeah it wasn't until um i started singing in high school and that was the thing that i just wanted to do because a bunch of friends were doing it mm-hmm. and uh at that point I, I was starting to enjoy it uh and then picking up an instrument and playing that all like and, and, and sort of and write, songwriting really didn't happen until college. Uh, it was mostly spurred on by um, there's like a winter study class at the college I went to, which is sort of like a jam term equivalent where just like for one month uh, or it's like three weeks in the winter, you get to take a single class that is unrelated to the rest of your um, or can be unrelated to to uh, the rest of your curriculum. Yeah. Uh, and the one one I took one year was songwriting with uh, a local singer songwriter. And that just got me hooked and like, yeah, you can sort of be, be writing about just the idea of creative writing and music combining was something that had not occurred to me uh, or, or I just hadn't hadn't happened upon. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of when I got uh, 
decided that this was something I wanted to try playing around with. Was that was that sort of what led into you uh, applying for the Watson Fellowship? Yeah, um, that uh, d- definitely. That was that was the primary reason. Uh, and, and the Watson Fellowship, for, for those of your listeners who don't know uh, what that is, sort of this dream thing that that I lucked into. But uh, you you get a stipend to roam around the world and do something like a, a, a self um, a self described course of study. So you, you, your proposal for the for the thing is a. Uh, is a your application is a, a project proposal basically where you mm-hmm. say i'm going to study this thing for a year uh and you can't go back home for the year you can't go to anywhere you've been before yeah. uh you can't be in school you can't get a job so it's sort of you're, you're on your own doing out like research which which ends up being a kind of a very cool and also kind of a crazy year where you end up at least in my case having like an almost nervous breakdown because you are been <laughs> you've been like doing things for grades and for judgment for your entire life and then all of a sudden you're just roaming around talking to people in pubs about music and yeah it, uh, it was totally nuts and very cool yeah um so that the, the songwriting was sort of my so- songwriting was the focus of my watson proposal and i was again fortunate enough to, to snag one and, and roamed around for a year in ireland brazil and turkey yeah uh and then and, and was planning to go to med school actually and i'd, I'd done some uh, i'd done some um research on gut hormones in high school excuse me in college uh, that was my um biothesis and so that, nice. uh, that's why i have a, a, a very loose um superficial understanding of or at least i'm able to sort of like work my way through uh, uh, the uh, uh, some abstracts of the papers so the sort of research that you ended up doing um i can just just tease out what's happening uh <laughs> so was planning on going to med school and then uh, over the course of that year uh, realized that i i could maybe try music and that was the thing that i was much more excited about yeah um and and ended up uh, reconnecting with the guys that I had been uh, in a band with in, in college. So uh, and some of them were still in school. So we kind of waited till the youngest guys were done, and then moved into a house and tried to do it professionally. Very cool. Very. I mean, the the Watson uh, Fellowship seems so cool. Just sort of getting that opportunity, like you said, and uh, you went you went three places uh, with Ireland, Brazil, and Turkey, and just I mean that that experience does seem like something that would be sort of life-altering like when you go back to regular regular life you're like what just been traveling for a year learning music like you just turned into this songwriting vagabond which seems awesome totally yeah it it wasn't it wasn't quite as romantic as that it was more like a lonely kid wandering around trying to make friends at pubs but like i think it it totally it it, it, your 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 assessment of coming back to regular life and wondering what's happening is on point i think yeah. the biggest gift that that is really that that fellowship is is time it, it's like you get a lot of time to think about the project you're doing but also to think about everything else in your life and how things have gone and I, I was very fortunate to go to a like a college prep high school and then like a, you know a, a totally decent uh college and then graduating from there one and with my parents both my parents were physicians so you know i i was sort of on the path of i'm going to then get a terminal degree yeah and uh work in something and that was it, no one had ever told me that's what i had to do but it was sort of an understanding and and having the space and time to remove myself from all of that uh through the watson and just be like i what what can happen what can i what do i want to do what like it, that, those are questions that i hadn't really given myself the space to ask and again that's, that's this is all born of a, a huge amount of privilege like getting to go to these schools etc so i, I yeah. don't suggest that I'm, there, there's no 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 pity is being asked for here yeah more than a more that that i was just very fortunate to um to have that, that to me the, the greatest gift of that of that fellowship was time yeah uh, which i think is something that um it's just that's a that's that's a really rare 
gifts um, just for almost anyone. Like you're, you're, we're always just like going from one thing to the next to the next, like because of the way that our lives are structured and how things go. And, and uh, you know, you, you do this, you do X, you do Y, you get a job, you get to start a family, et cetera. There's, there's very little built in space. There's very little space that's just built in outside of maybe summer vacations as a kid where you just get a chance to like sit down and assess what's happening. For sure. Um, and, and so that was a huge gift for me that allowed me to sort of pivot. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm very grateful for it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you mentioned, I mean, that was, you went to Williams College in, in Massachusetts, and it's a great li- well, liberal arts school. Uh, it's it's pretty tiny. It's in, in Western Mass. Uh, and yep. I, I just sort of wondered, what, what makes a guy from Kansas City choose that? I mean, it seems so far away, so removed. How, how did you find that and say, Williams College, that's where I'm going? Totally, yeah. So... Um, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm a kid of immigrants. Both my parents immigrated from India. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of had it in my head that when you grow up, you move to a place that's different from where your parents are. That's mm. sort of, I, I, that's a, a very perverted way of thinking about the world, but yeah. just, just because I, that's what I knew, you know, that's what, that's what it was. And so, and, and so the idea of going to college, maybe outside of the country would have felt like very far, but anywhere within the U S uh, felt sort of close enough. And I think also, um, my parents were, um, you know, have their eyes on on the the top college prizes of uh, as, as as many many South Asian parents do, where it's like you go to the best school you can possibly get into, and yeah. so they they always sort of mention the Ivy League and schools, and and so those those are you know plenty of all East Coast schools, yeah, uh, and then the the top schools West Coast, et cetera, and there's some great schools in the Midwest as well, but I think there had always been an assumption in that I would go somewhere else for school, uh, and mm. and I so it wasn't really something I questioned either. Mm. And and given that my parents were so far from their parents, it, it, like you know, from Kansas City to New Delhi, yeah, um, the idea of being a couple hours flight didn't was never that much like that intimidating. In fact, when I got to college and found out there were kids who were like from the area who were going there, it was like mind blowing. <laughs> it was very funny. <laughs> what? Um, so I think a lot of it is just yes, it's just like weird expectation uh, that that is born of you know when you grow up in a certain with a certain set of expectations, you look at your parents as models of what people have done. Yeah. Um, you just assume, or at least I uh, was was narrow minded enough to just assume that's what happened. Uh, so it's very <laughs> funny. Uh, very yeah, like a lot of things that that are now uh, seem totally ludicrous to be saying to you on the phone. Uh, that's <laughs> that's how I was thinking. But um, but the the nitty gritty of, of how I got there was um, I had applied to, uh, or I I was sitting next like I went to as I mentioned a college prep high school in Kansas City, and mm-hmm. uh, my favorite English teacher was sitting next to me on a day that like. We were picking like a college. This, the, the, the school was preppy enough that colleges would send visit send representative to the school on like a college day to like talk about their schools. Yeah. Their colleges. Um, and on one day that we were picking which ones we would check out, um, I had like picked the names of universities I'd heard of, like Brown and Yale. Yeah. Uh, and then um, Williams is a really excellent liberal arts school that is again, yeah, not relatively unheard of in the Midwest. And frankly, or, or even the Northeast, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's like a, it's a pretty niche thing. Um, but uh, my teacher's son had gone to play baseball there. Hmm. And so he was very aware of it, knew it was a good school and suggested I check it out. So hmm. I checked it out. Um, and it was one of the, it was uh, of the places I got in. It was my top choice. So I ended up going there, but, nice. but it, was, it was certainly a bit of happenstance based on whom I was sitting next to um, yeah. that, that day at assembly. Yeah. Yeah, well, now, uh, Williams College, the other thing I find interesting about this, and, and it, it's brought up a lot in, in Darling's side because you guys had sort of various members of interest, but it, it's uh, it's it's a place where a cappella groups are, are like a thing. 
It's 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 like yeah. it's like pitch perfect scene sort of going on. You've got these different groups of of acapella singers. Did you know that was a thing at Williams before going there, or were you like walking down the sidewalk and all of a sudden got accosted by a bunch of singing dudes and were like, "Whoa, what? Yeah, what's happening?" Yeah, no. <laughs> there are there are too many singing groups for sure at Williams College <laughs> and most liberal arts colleges in the in in, in like in, in Northeast. Like the, the the Ivies, I think, have a similar problem. Acapella yeah. Problem. Um, yeah. But no, I, I was excited about singing because I had, uh, I, I mentioned I started singing in high school. Um, a yeah. few friends had started an acapella group in high school, uh, mm. which there was only one at the time there, uh, or what, there was a men's group and a women's group. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I was not particularly good at sports in high school or afterwards. So uh, in terms of getting excited about extracurriculars, I had looked into like where I could sing. Yeah. And um, knowing that Williams had a few different groups was, was exciting. I didn't realize, like I didn't put it together that, there were like, I think the per, the per capita, like the number of groups there are per capita at Williams is that is, I think, what's obscene uh, just <laughs> because there are like seven or eight groups and there are only 2,000 kids on campus. Yeah. So an enormous, like we say we don't have frats, but instead we have acapella groups and sports teams. Yeah. Um, but the, um, yeah, I didn't realize how concentrated it was, uh, but, uh, but no, I, I was excited about singing at school. Nice. Um, Nice. So I, I was slightly aware of what was at, what I was getting myself into. Gotcha. Now, now, uh, when you mentioned like when you came back from the the Watson Fellowship was when you really started to give music a, a you know give music a full full hearted try there with Darling Side. Did you guys when you started? Did you have any idea of like really what type of music you wanted to do, or was it when you got together? Were you like was it all in? When you first, when you came back from the Watson Fellowship, or was it just like starting out to jam again, and then just got more serious? Yeah. Um. So I'm, I'm gonna. There were a couple questions you asked. You stuck in there, and I'll try to answer them um, <laughs> in the order you asked. So in terms of whether we knew what kind of music we were gonna play, we did not know that. Um. We were a different band at that point because we had a, a rather excellent drummer named Sam. Who's, yeah. Uh, who's no longer uh, remains a very good friend, but um, decided the touring life wasn't for him about five six years ago yeah so um we were we had a heavier sound certainly but we were also figuring out what that sound was just mm -hmm. because i think we were all coming at it from different perspectives and had different things that we enjoyed and and different like yeah so so the, the first year was a lot of like figuring out what it is that we were doing yeah. um and and you can hear that on our the album that we released the one album released as a five piece is called pilot machines um, yeah which we did in 2012, and that is, uh, you can hear some of the, the variety that we were pursuing there, yeah. uh, and it's quite different from the first album we released as a four-piece, which is the the, 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 um, the lineup we have now, uh, as called Birds Say. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so, n no, we did not know what kind of music we were writing, which uh, was a thing we needed to figure out. And then the other question you asked was um, if we were all in. So I got back from the fellowship, and at that point, two of our guys, uh, we're still finished. We still had a year of school to go. So, mm. um, Dave, my bandmate Dave and I moved to a town called Northampton. That's like an hour plus from uh, where the college is. Yeah. And we were kind. Of, I was like, I was managing a pizza shop and teaching MCAT classes at that point. MCAT's the uh, med school at yeah. exam. So I, I did take it and then pr proceeded to only use the score to teach as opposed to actually do anything with it. Um, <laughs> but uh, was was doing a couple odd jobs in town, uh, and then we would go to to the college every weekend pretty much to rehearse um and and so by the time the guys graduated we were all sort of ready to go all in and, and that of course it, it still involves side jobs uh as a, yeah. a, a startup band of course because no one is making any money yeah um at that point with music but um yeah so w once the band started in earnest which was a year after i got back 
uh, from the fellowship, we were we were pretty much all in, which was a, a really cool thing to have that. Uh, that like I think, um, yeah, I felt very lucky to have and continue to feel very lucky to, to have uh, the rest of the guys in the band uh, be as sort of dedicated to trying to make things work as I was. And, and that's a huge part of actually what made my parents um, turn from sort of being a little worried about the band to being some of our biggest supporters was seeing that there were four, four like three or four, four other guys at that point um, who from, from the same relatively sort of serious college who were ready to try and make this happen with me, uh, and that was that was a very cool thing. Yeah, I well, I mean, speaking of your parents, I heard you know I heard your dad gave you so, some great advice, which I thought was really unique because you know he 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 compared it to medical school, where it basically takes you know eight years or so to get where you want to be, or even longer, and so it's sort of like be prepared to put some time in to actually see the payoff, yeah. which. Which I think is is amazing way to look at it because I I mean you know I've interviewed so many artists and I've I've never sort of I mean you know you always hear the you got to be prepared to work you got to be prepared to put time in but you never actually have that that long term perspective that tenacity on it uh, did did he share that with you or just or, or the whole band um, no he shared that with me and I I think it was a really sobering and and also impressively sort of. Uh... It was just impressive in that he's someone who has no idea about the art, but he he knew that like that anything anything you're working on is going to take time. Like you're not going to be great at it. It's the idea. Like I think the the uh, so it was um, I'm the blanking on the word I want to use. It'll come to me about five minutes after the interview, <laughs> and then I'll call you back and let you know what it is. But um, he was um, he was aware that it's like I think with, with music, with, so with something like med school, for instance. One of the big differences between a professional school and, and any arts career is that with professional school, you have, or with a terminal degree, there are uh, a very clear level. So organized, so after yeah. Your first year, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. You, you, you first you are, you are accepted into the PhD program or the, the MD program or whatever, uh, or law school. And then you have three years of that, and then you'll do like a residency if you're in medicine, or you'll do start your thesis for PhD stuff or whatever. Yeah. And like, Everything, although it's still like it's still going to be like five or six years before you're actually a practicing doctor, except for some people like ten if you're doing some crazy double degree. Yeah, um, you're at least on the path. You can explain what you're doing to people. It's all sort of it, it's very easy to describe. It's very easy to justify to yourself because you know where it's going to end up. Yeah. And there's a guarantee at the end of it. You know you're going to get a degree. Mm -hmm. With art stuff, there are there's no so there's no barrier to entry. Anyone can decide right now that they're going to play music and uh, for like. A pretty small fee you can get your stuff uploaded to spotify or yeah. itunes and you can be a musician which is fine mm -hmm. and great um and so there's a huge number of people who are doing it uh, there's also the way that music is marketed is uh as, as opposed to saying that like these people have been at it for like 10 years and now they're finally breaking instead people are an overnight success mm -hmm. so you'll hear about a band like the national which was like an overnight success at some point in the early aughts yeah, uh, I think. But at that point, they had been at it for like a decade. But mm -hmm. no one talked. They, they, that wasn't part of the marketing of it because that's not sexy. So yeah. as a listener, you're just sort of exposed to a lot of stuff where it's like overnight, overnight, overnight. If I if I play my cards right and I write just the right song, I will hit it overnight. And that may have been the case like a couple, a decade or two, or a couple decades ago at this point. Yeah. If like the right A&R person picked you up and did all the things, but there's a lot of shady stuff that went on in there anyway. So it, it, it was, it, it, there was a more of lottery. And even now there are, you know, one hit wonders who just like will have a, a song go viral. Oh, yeah. But to translate virality into a stable career is a very different thing as like any, any uh, graduate will call them of the like American Idol voice shows. Mm -hmm. If you look at the sort of alumni of that, the people who've won, some of them have had totally 
long-lasting careers. Other ones sort of weren't able to con convert because it's very difficult because it takes a different set. Of, like it, it takes a lot of just like you got to keep going. And what's what's tough about it is you don't have those levels, rungs of like now I'm a first PhD student, now I'm a whatever. Yeah. Instead, you have too many metrics. You have like Spotify metrics. You have number of people you're pulling in your hometown and the town over. You have um, how much money you're getting paid for this kind of gig, how much people are paying you for a private show, whatever. There's a huge number of these metrics. And, and it's, uh, it's very, it's, it's like, it's a lot to manage and think about. And as a startup arts group, you know, you often aren't going to have a manager or a booking agent. So you're running all that on your own. And so to have that very sobering, uh, way of thinking about, um, a career, which is just like, you got to put in time. It's going to take a while for you to get good. If you keep putting time at it in it and you're competent, you will eventually get good and people will pay attention to notice. And that, that I think was how he framed it, uh, it, but you know, through, through the lens of med school. And that was a very cool. Uh, thing that definitely shapes how I think about just putting time in. I think just in general, if you want to get good at something, it's going to take a while, but you can do it. You just got to keep doing it. Definitely. <laughs> that, was, that was very helpful. Definitely. Well, I, I think another thing that a lot of people, well, you guys are, are quick to point out about your career in music. You guys are, you know, a pretty staunch democracy as far as your uh, band. You split sort of four ways and it's 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 democratic process as far as the way you go uh, about accomplishing things. Has that, uh, was, was that from the start? Did you guys decide that as well? Like when you guys started, like, Hey, it's, it, we've got to have a majority here to, to approve things. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the word I was thinking of before was impressively prescient. That's ah, what I meant to say. Prescient. It, it, it yes. Did not come, but there we go. Yeah. I got it before the interview. Ended, so um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So as far as the d democracy bit, so, uh, that was our response early on to thinking about problems that could crop up later. So mm. um, uh, in case your listeners aren't aware of how uh, uh, artists are paid when they, when, if, they, if they are ever paid uh, within <laughs> the music industry, um, if you write a song that's a hit, um, people get paid differently within the band depending on how things are defined. Mm -hmm. well before the song becomes a hit. So, um, Doc G. Uh, do you prefer Ben or Doc G? If either I'm one. Which, whichever right, well, one. I'm going to go Doc G. Because that I'm works. Like, all right, I like the honor of it. Great. <laughs> so if Doc G and I write a song, and we um, both put time in, but really, really, we all know who the creative genius here is. It's Doc G. Oh, He's yes. the one who wrote all the lyrics, and his name actually goes on the writer credit when we when we uh, submit the song for copyright or like and, and to to a, 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 there's a company called a publishing rights organization we submit it to them mm -hmm. then the song blows up i'm a performer on the song but you know i'm just the, i'm just eye candy at this point yeah. the real the, the creative genius is Doc G. he's the writer <laughs> you're he's the one who's going to get a lot of like the, the royalties are going to um there, there are specific writing royalties and they're performer royalties yeah and so you you will like as the writer Doc G, you are going to be getting a much larger share of royalties than i will because of the way that we structure yeah um which for like a, if, if there's a band where there's a clear cut however what's tricky here is that like if you know that that is how the stuff plays out then you might have a song that's like 80 percent done and you bring it to me and you're like hey i want to finish this song out but you know that if my name gets added to it you're going to take away from the, pie. the writing yeah i take away from the pie so yeah. you are incentivized to sort of to just finish the song on your own and bring it to me yeah mm -hmm. um and we had decided from the outset that wasn't something we wanted to be doing so yeah. we decided whoever writes it's all four of us another thing that, that sort of helped satisfy was that like in the early days of uh, the reason that I, like, I didn't do a lot of the writing in the early days because i was our booking agent mm. uh, which was and i was not a great booking agent but i tried real hard and so i was like putting a lot of time into emailing every venue every place doing etc 
And that, while I did build up my Rolodex, that is not something that I would get compensated for later. Whereas Harris, for instance, was doing a lot of hanging out with a guitar playing. Mm -hmm. So we decided early on that like, look, Harris, if we only put Harris down as the writer, uh, then he will get compensated later, even though I was doing unpaid, what is rel what is relatively unpaid work for the band. Like, yeah. And, and I'm not going to get compensated for it later. So instead of doing that, we're going to say, we're going to trust that all of us are putting equal work in towards the band or that it'll all even out. And yeah. all of us are going to get equally credited so that A, there's no weird incentivization for like us to like keep songs from one another. Yeah. And B, so that we're all like, it, it, so we're all putting work into like so. So no one is getting just because just because the capitalist system that we exist in, or the capitalist system is maybe unfair to depend on capitalism. There are plenty of problems it creates, but perhaps not this one. The way that uh, music crediting works uh, attaches all this importance to the writer when there are so many other roles that we're all playing. Yeah. We're going to ignore that and just say we're all writers. We're all responsible. Like all of us are part of the machine that allows this song to get out there. So we're all writers equally, and that's going to be the case for all of our stuff. And that has served us really well i think so i'm really glad we made that decision early on but there were a few different factors that played into it and of course at, in the early days uh no none of our songs were making any money anyway so it, none of that mattered at that time but i think setting up setting it up for um for a system so when we did end up having some fair play or whatever um that it was uh it, we were all compensated the same i think has felt really good to all of it definitely i i think uh, seeing a lot of it play out in the music industry as far as other bands uh, for the long term, seems like a, a, a really good decision. Now, I, I think as far as your notoriety, as far as getting momentum, as far as the group, uh, it seemed like one of the, the sort of big steps there was getting a, an endorsement from Graham Nash uh, at the at the Folk Alliance conference and then winning the, the Artist of the Year that same year in 2015. You guys had released which one of my favorite songs that I just absolutely love both versions and your version of it but Woodstock uh, you did with Heather Maloney um, and uh, thank you very much yeah I feel like you guys hit somewhere in between the the, the Crosby Stills Nash version and the Joni Mitchell version with a little bit of your own flair to it because there's a lot of the same vocals as Joni's version and there's a lot of the same sort of music uh, sort of momentum of the Crosby, Stills, Nash. I, I just love the song. What made you guys want to record that one? Um, we were, uh, we played a, uh, so we, we, we had just switched from the five piece to the four piece mm -hmm. outfit as, uh, and um, we're trying to figure out how to tour. We knew um, Heather from the Northampton scene that we'd sort of come up in. Yeah. Uh, who's a lovely singer-songwriter for, for those of your listeners who don't know her, Heather Maloney. And um, yeah, she's out of Northampton, Massachusetts. And mm -hmm. she also spends a lot of time in Florida, I think. So nice. She might be native to both at this point. Nice. But um, we'd known her from the scene in Northampton. And so we decided to do a tour together. And one of the tours was a house show um, by a, a woman named Val who runs... Uh, like a podcast and and all, like uh, also does a house show series and also did um, did some writing for like the New York Times Boomer section. I'm not sure if that's still around, but uh, yeah. but did like sort of you know writing writing about music for an older gen older crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, she she actually didn't know that we were. She just thought we were Heather's backing band. She didn't realize we were an outfit on our own. <laughs> um, and so so it, it, we we made we were able to make the distinction clear before the concert started she heard us play and then suggested uh we cover that song yeah. and uh we thought about it and said that sounds like a great idea especially because val had some some um 
influence within the uh, the world of uh, uh, like you know New York Times was was a was an aspirational um, publication for us at that point. Of so course. we uh, we recorded it and put it out, and it ended up going well. Uh, I think Val wrote about it in her column, and Heather's label, uh, which is a company called Signature Sounds, based in Northampton, with that we had long been. Um, friendly with and uh, had sort of suggested that we maybe do uh, a small album together with Heather based around that song. So we ended up releasing a, 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 an EP called Woodstock. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that it kind of just all spilled out of that one house show. Uh, or really, I mean, it spilled out of the tour that we did with Heather. Yeah. Um, that uh, that ended up, that was kind of a, 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 a yeah, our first attempt to uh, exist as a four piece. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, it came out. It came out great. And I just love that. There's something, I don't know. There's something so I, I feel the emotion of that song. Like I feel like everything that's sort of uh, promising or positive about sort of the the you know late '60s hippie movement is in that song. Like the 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 lyrics about the bombers turning into butterflies, the stardust uh, billion year old carbon. Like all of that is just so good. Love that song. So. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the song as well. I, I was not familiar with it before um, before we decided to get in and record it, but um, I'm grateful for the exposure. For sure, for sure. Well, now, let's talk about the, the newest album you guys released one year ago, Fish Pond Fish. And, and it seemed like this album was is sort of new and interesting in a, in a lot of ways. And, you know, you were talking about the writing uh, earlier as far as, you know, how you guys split it up. And... and if I I think you guys did this in a completely sort of different way, it seemed like you sort of turned it into like a creative writing process with the whole band, with each person doing sort of different layers. Like one of you would write, if I'm getting it right, like prose, and then the other would turn it into a poem, and then somebody would add a melody to it. And so like by the time you came back to it, it was this mutation of everybody's work was that sort of how it went as far as the writing for this yeah totally I and mean, we did a bunch of different kinds of writing exercises like some of them were um you know all of us would write uh some sort of like free write well free write is what we refer to when you just like sit down with a pen and a yeah. piece of paper and you just write whatever's on your mind maybe with a little bit of direction but you're just going and the idea is to just like produce as much material as possible um and then we would rip those in half vertically and then match like mismatch the halves and then someone would then transcribe roughly what they could read it to be when you like mismatch these halves yeah. and then someone else would turn it into a poem and when i when we say turn it into a poem I mean, these are like not good poems these are just like <laughs> poetry i apologize if you have to bleep that oh, out but, um, but yeah so the idea was mostly that like um you know we are all uh pretty type a and uh like harsh on our hard on ourselves in terms of like if we're doing something we want it to be just right and i think um they're, they're or, you know just professionists they're, they're the word yeah. in the english language for that and that's that, that's it yeah and um and that is i think a thing that can serve you very well as a creator but is very it, it, it can also be a block or an obstacle to um to just like creating to like making to just like i think the perfectionist tendency is great at the end of the of the creative cycle when you're like yeah looking to like shave off the final bits and just make it the perfect thing yeah. but at the beginning when you're just looking to generate it can be a block because you're, you're sort of like i'm not going to write anything down unless it's really profound yeah and unfortunately for us 
very little of what we think or write is profound, like a very small percentage um, or good even. So the idea is to sort of they're, they're a, a term that's often thrown around in the arts world is like in the inner critic. This is this this little demon gremlin that like lives in your head and it's just like you're bad, you're dumb, you're not doing a good job. This is not a good sentence. This this isn't even a verb. This doesn't have a verb or whatever, like yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to turn off the inner critic and you do that by being like, hey, you have 20 minutes to just like verbal dump a bunch of stuff onto a page, like, or like yeah. verbal dump, uh, like write down just uh, a bunch of stuff on a page, then hand it to your friend is going to turn it into a really weird poem. And yeah. so when you have like 20 minutes and you're just supposed to write, 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 and like there's some, you know, we'll do like a prompt that's like, a name of a made-up movie, like write a plot for it and then send it over. And then the next person has to like write a screenplay for that made-up movie, like whatever, just like just just weird stuff. Yeah. But the idea is to just get a bunch of words and, and, and inevitably when you do that kind of thing, a bunch of stuff from your, Gets from, like, your day, like what are yeah. you going to write about? It just, it comes in, it, it enters and it, it's like, it can be like petty frustrations or whatever. Like, and, and so we'll, we'll use, um, and oftentimes it'll be really fun, weird turns of phrase that come up, come of like just a rushed writing process. Uh, yeah. Or not even rush, but just like a, a free writing process. And so the, the big thing here is just turning off that inner critic for all of us. Um, and another thing that comes up that's a very cool side effect is that because it sort of runs through all of our brains, it's filtered through all of us. Yeah. Over the course of it, at the, their process you mentioned, we're like, take the take the weird prose, turn it into weird poem. Take yeah. the weird poem, turn it into weird song. Take yeah. the weird song, set it to weird melody. Um, it has a, an imprint of all of us on it, which is a very cool thing. Yeah. Uh, and since we, you know, since it, it's, sort, it's sort of a weird evolution that we, I was describing um, the uh, the way that we credit all four people regardless. This is sort of like us almost uh, um, putting that in. Yeah. Creating. Yeah. Like ma- matching that, matching that in process, being like, all right, we're all we're all writing it. Let's all like have a little bit of us. So oftentimes it's very hard to tell where an initial where a lyric comes from, or where a thing comes from on this album, because it's like it goes through so many iterations where it's like. Someone had a weird, cool idea. Then it got tweaked a little bit, tweaked a little more, tweaked a little more, and then we then we kept it because we liked it. So um, it also like you know most of the stuff that we're producing though is trash uh, because <laughs> it, 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 that's the point. The point is to not be producing masterpieces. The point is to just like make is to generate. And so we have this large Google Doc with all of this stuff that's all sort of common material that like if you're if I'm working on one song that's based on one like sort of uh, poetry storm thing that we did. Um, I can look into the big doc and pluck out other lines that I like from other people's weird poetry that isn't being used and plug it in and it's fine. It's all like, it's sort of, there's like this, this um, huge amount of common material or uh, 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 it's all common. So we can all, we can all access it, which is a very cool thing. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was a really fun writing process for all of us. I think just because it's, it takes a lot of pressure off and it allows you to sort of celebrate little bits of things that come out of very weird places. For sure. Now, did you? Uh, w- that all started before before the pandemic, though, right? You, this was, Correct. yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I feel like because when I first heard you talk about that in another interview, I was like, oh man, that would be a good thing to get going in the pandemic. And I was like, oh wait, they did that before. So, uh, did you do any more of? I mean, did you practice some of that during the pandemic? Yeah. So what we um, we did. Um, we have now been getting back into like we we tend to do like seasons of writing and then seasons of recording mm-hmm. by the time the pandemic hit we were just finishing up our recording so that's like we did a little bit of like lyrical finishing up mm-hmm. or, like finishing up lyrics but um but we once we were in recording season we were doing a lot less writing exercise stuff and more just like sharpening up the lyrics 
for things like using the the bank of stuff that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but now uh, we are back in a place where like uh, because of uh, you know pandemic has, has affected where we're all living and how much uh, time we're able to spend with each other and, and away. Um, we now feel like we have a lot of tools in the toolkit that allow us to do writing exercises from afar, which is really nice. So yeah, um, yeah, we we have been we've been starting to dip our toes back. We're now back in uh, right. We're starting to get back into writing mode. Um, but for this next album, we're also trying some different stuff. We're like we're having a few people steward, like each of us is stewarding a few songs, like from start, uh, as opposed to starting from this big. Um, this big bank of stuff. So we're, we're like the, the whole the whole thing is constantly evolving in terms of how we're. I think we, we we like to play with different things and also the way that different processes affect how you write is a, a source of great joy for us. So um, we're, we are we do have a lot of those exercises we can do, but we're also playing with some other ideas, other ways. Of, excuse me, I keep knocking a metal water bottle over. Um, I'm getting so excited by moving waving my hands around. Um, so we're, we, we're we're also exploring some other other ways of doing it, just because. Part of the fun of this career for us is continuing to explore different ways of collaborating and making things. And so, um, yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're using some of those techniques and also playing with some new ones. Nice. Well, you guys, on the, this last album, you circled back to where you were. I mean, not, not full circle. You, you, had a different, you had a different drummer, and it's definitely different sounds, but you came back to drums on this album. So uh, yeah. Ben Burns came in, put down some drums. What made you decide... Let's let's go drums on this album. Um, I think it, it, the songs felt like they needed it. I mean, we were also working with a producer who uh, Peter Cadis, who's, uh, yeah. who's done a lot of work with the National, and he's just with Interpol and some great bands. And he, he actually worked very with good our, at drum sounds. Our last guest, Wild Rivers, he was he was on oh, their cool. latest album. So yeah, he yeah, does awesome. some great work. Yeah, so he the man is very good at many things, uh, and also makes some great drum sounds. Mm-hmm. I am frankly forgetting what the exact timeline of events that led us to uh calling ben. We, we've also played with ben before and knew that he's really great uh we, we actually what we did was we called ben up to come over and hang and help us with some demos to see like how drums would feel on a few songs mm-hmm. uh and just what he ended up playing was so good that we were like we need to need this man needs to be part of this project so nice. um i i don't remember the exact sequence of events that led us to calling ben in the first place outside of feeling like we all wanted some drums on these songs or wanted to hear what it could be like um but uh yeah just uh, the, the, he, we we got to hang, hang in with him he's a really great drummer and uh feeling like we wanted to see what it felt like on some demos uh, he just blew us away nice now uh like you said you, you guys worked with peter Cadis. uh now I'm guessing most of that was that uh, sort of had to be over internet and over long distance because of the pandemic of finishing it up. Or did you guys get most of it finished before the pandemic? We got about two thirds of it finished before. Okay. And then the last third was, was, uh, was the last third ended up taking like, you know, uh, much more than a third of the time. Yeah. Um, because we were doing it remote remotely, but yeah, so we got to work with them in person for a bunch of it. And then, uh, then it was a lot of, um, navigating the pandemic and finishing the record now how how different was it working with peter than the the albums in the past as far as producing wise yeah so um i think uh the other so i am the least production oriented member of the band and i'm very grateful to be in a band with three dudes who are very production engineering oriented i um am learning a little bit more and i like sort of figuring out my own parts or what I'm going to be doing and had a lot of fun doing some string arrangements for this album that I hadn't done the same way for other things. But my 
biggest role in the studio. Uh, I really, I think a lot about food, as I mentioned. So yeah. I tend to like cook and provide and like sort of get, get, do the communal meals and like get everything together for that kind of thing. Nice. Uh, which is, it makes me very happy. Uh, so the big difference for me with Peter there was he has a house uh, that we could stay in with a full on kitchen, which was great. In the past, I've had to deal with just like a George Foreman and a microwave. <laughs> it's much harder to, um, to do full meals. Yeah. Um, so that was a big difference for me. But in terms of working with Peter, um, yeah, I think he's, he's, uh, uh, extremely good with um, like uh, bigger like with with drums. Uh, just has like his. I think that the other guys learn an immense amount from him yeah. um, about like certain workflow tricks that he has and certain ways of processing. And we also got the chance to like explore a lot of great gear he has. Um, and so yeah, I think uh, th- that. Uh, but in terms of workflow, I think the other guys still played of or we we as a band played a large role in the production side of things too, mm-hmm. which was great for us. So it, it sort of it was it sort of. Uh, uh, the same way that we've worked with our friend Dan Cardinal, who's based in Jamaica Plain, it's sort of like having Peter as like a fifth man who's very extremely good at all things production oriented, but and will weigh in with some ideas, but also will allow us to steer the ship. Yeah. Um, it was a similar kind of relationship. It was just having switching a different person out and experiencing uh, and learning a lot from them in that respect. So I think that was um, nice. that was something we're very grateful for, and we remain friends with Peter. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, it's a it's amazing album. Uh, we're gonna hear from it. Thank you very much. In just a little bit, but I did along with your new music. I wanted to mention there. I noticed on the most recent album, uh, Moby's newest album, you guys have two songs almost there in the yeah. last day where you're on Moby's album, which seems wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, how how did you? You know, how, how did you end up on Moby's album? Um, Moby got in touch with us, which was, as you might imagine, a very cool and weird email to receive. Uh, yeah, I would say. I, I don't know whether it was a call or uh, they reached out to our management and said he heard us on the radio or something and wanted to know if we'd be a part of his project. And we, of course, said yes because he's Moby. So that uh, yeah. we ended up, like when we were in L.A., the next, the next time we were in L.A., we got to hang with him in the studio for a day and sing a little bit and eat some good vegan food and that was pretty much it it was it was sort of a weird dream sequence of things that then eventually led to getting to, to hang with moby for a bit man very that's, that's cool pretty, that's pretty much the extent of it yeah yeah uh, a quick wham bam on the moby's album situation nice. yeah right right nice exactly well, I got one thing I want to ask uh, outside of music that I noticed. I saw you mention in a couple of interviews that you were learning how to play basketball, which hmm. I've, yes. I've got to say usually isn't something that you hear too many of the folks in their 30s picking up. Uh, how's no. how's basketball been going for you? So basketball went well. I actually, I, I was learning it because of a bet I made with a friend that I've had a, a this is a, a, a competitive uh, man named Tommy uh, mm. was a great friend from co- was a great friend from college and he and I have had a few sports bets and this was one where he was like look I know I can beat you in basketball because I weigh more than you I played <laughs> basketball I'm decent at it and I was like I, I don't know how to play but it's a sport I've wanted to learn so give me two years and I will learn how to play and then we'll play <laughs> So I took two years to play. However, um, before the first year was over, the pandemic hit, which makes it very hard to play one-on-one basketball with people yeah. um, because you just can't breathe on people right. and have them breathe on you. So yeah. I did a lot of solo dribbling, um, then flew out. The plan was to fly out to Hawaii because that's where Tommy's from uh, yeah. and working as, as, as an ER doc there. And um, the, the deal was if I won, that I would win the trip. Um, he would pay for, for my <laughs> flight out. So... I got out there. I didn't realize Tommy was very out of shape. 
Mm. But that also meant he was a full 60 pounds heavier than me, which oh. in one-on-one basketball is is a lot of, like, that allows you to just throw like, his weight way into you. the basket. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So so he bullied me uh, towards the basket for the first, he got up nine zip. Uh, we were playing, but I, I had a, like, asked for the rules to be first to 31 all ones, which is a marathon game. That's a pretty, that, yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a long I, game. I, I, that's a very long game. So Tommy, uh, Tommy ended up, he was up 12, 11. So I caught up to basically wow. just, just to where I was right up to him. And then he had to retire because he was just not able to function. Um, he was just not in good shape and did not train. So um, it was a bit of a disappointment all around. I did score a free trip to Hawaii. got to hang out with my I friends. Was about that to was say. totally enjoyable. And I, and I now am like competent, a competent 150-pound basketball player, um, <laughs> but will still suffer if playing against someone who's 210 pounds. I think that's, that was the reality of that. Um, but it was totally enjoyable. I'm very happy now to be no longer picking up a basketball every day. But it was uh, <laughs> it was a fun project to do for those two years. And Tommy got a got a health check there. He needs he needs to get in shape, man. He needs to spend less yeah, time yeah, in the we, ER. Uh, it's a tough thing. Yeah, folks who are doctors, they do not have uh, healthy lifestyles, partially dictated by their careers. It's very Just too many hours. Tough thing. Uh, yeah. To see, yeah, tough. Too many hours. Sleep is not considered a priority for them. Like. Like, uh, yeah, it, it, it is. A, I, I felt that bad. I was grateful to win, but then on, on the way out, uh, as we were leaving, we, were, we came up with a, a, a health plan for him to get him back into, into shape. I think just staying in shape through your 30s is a tricky thing just because I think a lot of people have very fixed ideas about, I'm going to work out, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And if you don't have time for all of it, you do none of it. And mm. that, I think, is a um, p- part of existing on the road. I've been able to sort of learn how to, like, do what I can with what I've got. So if I've got 15 minutes, I'm going to use that. If I have an hour and a half, I'm going to use that. And and uh, that's been, I think, I'm great. Like that's been an advantage with uh, with this kind of thing. But that yeah, de- basketball is good. I'm now sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say that is it's it is a key point is just sort of work with what you have because there is totally you know oh I can't get a workout in. Okay, I'm not going to do anything. Well, you could do like yeah, totally. 15 minutes. You could you could walk. Yeah, you right. could do some push-ups. Do something. Yeah. Right, right. I got you, man. Well, Oyan, we are against a break, man, but I want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's been fantastic. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for uh, for having me and for all the enthusiasm and for doing all of the excellent research. This has been one of the best interviews. You, 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 yeah, you did such an excellent job of like with all the questions, and I felt um, yeah, felt very welcome. So thank you very much for that. You're you are welcome, sir. It's the one thing I do, as you know, PhD. <laughs> we do research. That's what we can. We, we do can, research. Yeah, we can do it, but. Uh, yeah, Listen, listeners, you can check out everything Darlingside at darlingside.com. Let's take a listen to Ocean Bed right here on the Doc G Show.
And we are back here on the Doc G show. You just heard Darling Side, and I just got finished done uh, finished talking to Oyan Mukherjee of Darling Side. Fantastic, very nice to have uh, to have Oyan on. Such a well-rounded dude. Just wants to do all kinds of things in life, Mike. I I appreciate that when people want to become oh, yeah. uh, a Renaissance man. You know. I I do that to some degree. I just do everything really poorly. I uh, you know. <laughs> I mean, like I like to do a bunch of different things, but I always preface it with like, "Hey, I'm going to be horrible at this." So you true. You know that, right? That's gonna don't be impressed. Don't be impressed at all. But uh yeah, my I mean, I was talking to him about the song uh Woodstock, which do you know any Crosby Stills Nash Young songs? You know? No, I don't. No, no. Crosby Stills no. Nash Young is one of like my favorites to go to on vinyl. Like I feel like they're sort of that quintessential sort of hippie band to a degree. You know, because their amazing album Deja Vu that was the album with Woodstock on it, and Woodstock actually isn't a Crosby Stills Nash Young song. It's a Joni Mitchell song. And it's just like I told uh, Oyon, that song just, it's so, something about it. It's so viscerally emotional to me. It feels like some kind of like ancient chant that I just feel like. Mm, yeah, it's one of those things that I hear it and I just have to look off into the distance like on Seinfeld whenever he heard Desperado. Like I feel like I'm just like, <laughs> it's it's so, it's just so charging. I mean, like I, like I told him, the lines, we are stardust, we are golden, we are billion year old carbon. It's just like, oh, so good. So good, I love it, Mike. Wait, what song is this? Now I got it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, you you've this. heard it. This? You've heard it. It's 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 Crosby, Stills, Nash, Young, Woodstock. Or you can listen to their Woodstock. version, Darling Side, Woodstock. You can listen to theirs as well. Or Joni Mitchell's version. They all have a slightly different uh, sound to them, but I love them all, Mike. They're all fantastic. It's such a, such a good song. Um, anyways, thanks to the guys from Darling Side taking a little time. Out of their schedule, especially Oyan, obviously, since he came on the show. That is fantastic. Yes! Um, make sure you check out their newest album, Fish Pond Fish. Mike, uh, once again, I, I'm getting in the habit. I want to get too many things done before the interview, and then I forget about the birthday suits. And we've got two birthday mm. suits. And, Mike, this is extremely rare. <laughs> I think you may be able to get all three. Okay. You may be able to get we'll a three for today. You're definitely going to get two. I'll bet all the money in my bank you'll get at least two. You'll get one okay. of these last two guys. But um, right. three, it's a possibility. Okay, here we go. Uh, born on October 13, 1977 in Oakland, California, our birthday suit wearer's family moved to Inglewood. Before our birthday suit wearer was in high school, her birthday suit wearer loved basketball, and in high school he got cut from his freshman uh, team and his sophomore team. But by his senior year, he was averaging 27 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists a game. He ended up taking a scholarship to Kansas, where his number was ultimately retired, and he ranks 5th of all time on the scoring list at Kansas after three seasons. 
After those three seasons, he declared for the NBA draft. He was drafted by the Boston Celtics 10th overall. In 2001, Shaquille O'Neal gave him the nickname, The Truth. He told the reporter Steve Bulpit, take this down. My name is Shaquille O'Neal and blank is the mother truth. Quote me on that and don't take nothing out. That's right. I knew he could play, but I didn't know he could play like this. Blank is the truth. Blank, of course, being our birthday suit wear. Mm. Um, over his career, he was a 10-time All-Star, a four-time All-NBA player, a three-point contest champion, a finals MVP winner, and a champion in 2008. His jersey was ultimately retired by the Boston Celtics in 2018. Name that birthday suit wear. Mm. Um, I'm going to go with... Oh, why is his name escaping me now? Ray Allen? No, 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 no. No, no. Ah. Think P. Double P. Uh, Paul Pierce. There Ah, we go. Paul Pierce. Okay. Uh, I'm still... I didn't know his nickname. I'm still giving you 100% on that one. I just, <laughs> you, you fired Ray Allen too quick before I could, I could stop you from saying the incorrect word. So that's all right. Ray, yes, Paul Pierce <laughs> turning uh, 44 for Paul Pierce. 44, nice. man. Yeah. And I mean, you know, people forget. The Shaquille O'Neal, like, that's where his, that's where his name came from. And I mean, uh, the dude could play. The dude mm-hmm. could play. Now, yeah. granted, he wasn't always in the best shape, but the dude could play some ball. And he was he was a winner. He was, you know, he was sort of uh like now the confidence that I have in Damian Lillard taking the last shot. That was kind of uh, confidence I had when Paul Pierce was in the in the game taking last shots. That dude did not shy away from game-winning shots. That dude thought he could win some game-winning shots. Very impressive. Uh, mm-hmm. Sadly, he got fired from ESPN. Did you see the hu- the the hubbub about that? Uh, yeah, but it looks like he's like he's like I don't care. I'm living my best life. If you guys oh, yeah. can't deal with this, and yeah, like, he does. Yeah, whatever. I mean, let's be honest. He has millions of dollars and uh, <laughs> yeah. and and a championship. He doesn't really care. I'd I'd I would no. I wouldn't really. I'd be like, oh no. You mean I don't have to come in every weekend to talk about basketball that's not mine? Oh, that's horrible. Like, I mean, he does, he's not hurting for the money. It's fine. It's nah. fine. Anyways, and, and again, though, just, uh, just just another instance of how that Instagram Live can get you in trouble. You just got to <laughs> watch out for that stuff. It'll get you in trouble. Yeah, it'll get you. Okay, okay. So I'm still counting it, Mike. Two for two. Two for two. Okay. Um, Okay, here comes the second one. This one is an old football player, but maybe one of the most famous football players of all time. Um, Born on October 13, 1962 in Starkville, Mississippi. Our birthday suit wearer loved sports growing up, but his mom wouldn't let him play football his freshman year of high school. In his sophomore year, his principal caught him from skipping class. And after catching him from skipping class, our birthday suit wearer tried to run away from his principal. He ran away so fast that the principal told the football coach he had to get this guy on his team. He ended up playing and earning a scholarship to the Mississippi Valley State University. He set multiple NCAA records and caught the eye of NFL scouts. In 1985, he declared for the draft, and the 49ers selected him 16th overall. 
In the NFL, he was a 13-time Pro Bowler, six-time receiving yards leader, two-time receptions leader, six-time touchdown leader, two-times Offensive Player of the Year, one-time MVP, and three-time Super Bowl champion as wide receiver for the 49ers. His number 80 jersey is retired. He is remembered as one of the greatest receivers of all time. Name that birthday suit wearer. Mm. Um. Mm. Initials J.R. Girl, come on! <laughs> I got no idea. Think of a uh, food for his last name. Doctor, I'm sorry. I, I I got nothing. Two, I don't know. <laughs> two for three today. Jerry Rice. Jerry, uh, Jerry Rice. Rice. Wow. Mm. I was, like trying to think of like 49ers players. All like all I could think of. You were like Steve Sandwich. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. I don't know. Yeah. Jerry oh, well. Rice. Yes. Jerry yeah. Rice. One of the greatest man. One of the greatest receivers I of know. all time. I used to collect his like cards. I used to collect like football cards and i used to like write these guys i just like my memory blanks i don't know I don't get know back in the game man it's time for you to start I'm, collecting some cards again yeah. oh Do i it. am i'm uh, i'm buying some cards there I'm, it is I'm doing the card collecting again good <laughs> good i'm more into collecting the uh, um, uh autographed photos that's what i like yeah I like the high cool. the high-end stuff you know here here in the mm -hmm. studio we've got uh we've got julius irving we got uh, nice. Bill Russell. We got Magic Johnson. We got Larry Bird. We got Mike Tyson. We got Evander Holyfield. We got Dennis Rodman. What? Yeah. Yeah. It's the way we do. That's a great collection. You know, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's, uh, I mean, it's what the Doc G Show does. That and celebrity gossip. Those are the two things that we do. <laughs> Anyways, anyways, two for three, Mike. Not bad. Uh, Jerry is celebrating. Let's see. This would—he's uh, almost about to turn sixty. Fifty-nine for Jerry Rice. Wow. There we go. Happy birthday, Jerry Rice. Uh, Mike, we've got some fantastic shows coming up. I'm very excited about next week's show. We've got Sam Birchfield. Sam is going to be uh, in Jacksonville for his show here at the end of October. So we wanted to get him on the show, get people prepared for that. Uh, we're going to talk about his whole whole career. Apparently, when he was a youngin, he was into Legos, Mike. I want to talk mm. some Legos with him. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but they released the biggest Lego set ever. They just announced the release of a new Lego set that's going to be the biggest ever. It's the Titanic. What? Yeah, it's the Titanic. That's cool. Yeah, it's the Titanic, and it's 9,090 pieces, I think. 9,090, something like that. It's 9,000 mm. and change. Um, it's going to be a 1-200th replica of the Titanic. So you're going to have a 200 to scale titanic yeah it's pretty wow. pricey it's like 650 dollars. it's not a cheap lego set this isn't i imagined it would be more than that for some reason it, it's also it's also i was i was pretty surprised it's uh it's 18 and up 
If you're not 18, you're not old enough to do this Lego set. <laughs> Let me see your ID. Yeah, you got you got to be an elder statesman to do these Legos. It's a little weird. But anyways, Mike, uh, we got to wrap it up for this week's show. I have been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, Mikey the Maxca, Maximus Fernicus hmm. hurting alpacas <laughs> like there's no tomorrow charrette. Sorry, I had to slow down to make sure I didn't screw up. But of course, <laughs> Mikey, thank you for t being on the show today. Hey, thank you for having me. Of Always course. love this Of course. Love we are going to be back on the air, of course, like I said, with Sam Birchfield next week, guys. Keep it locked. Until then, zip it up and zip it out. Zip it a doo-dah. <laughs>